listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Well, 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 look who it is. If it isn't the old podcast family. Welcome back. It's good to have you with me again today. It's Worship Wednesday, and I have got one for you today. You're not going to want to miss this. In just a minute, as you saw from the title, (laughs) I'm going to deal with how to not be a stupid worship leader. I hope that hits you right in the feel goods because I saw something today that really set me off and we're going to jump into it right in a minute. By the way, these Worship Wednesday episodes are in lieu of the fact that we've got Worship Summit 2019 coming up very soon, May of next year. You're not going to want to miss this conference right here in South Florida. Uh, I cannot wait for it to get here. We have 18 free sessions available for you, uh, your band, your singers, your choir, your tech teams, sound teams. And even if you're just a believer that wants to go deeper in the subject of praise and worship, this is for you. You can check out all the information at southeastworship.com. That's southeastworship.com. May the 7th through the 10th, 2019. That's a Tuesday through a Friday. And then on that Friday night, we're going to be recording a live album, live praise and worship album. So there'll be a concert on that Friday night that you can be a part of. It's going to be an awesome conference. I cannot wait. And I'd love to see you there. So check out all the information, southeastworship.com and register for free today. We'd love to have you. If you have any questions, they can be answered right on the website. If you have further questions, you can email us and uh, there's a way to get in contact with us or you can send us an email at info at miracleword.com. Love to hear from you and love to have you there. All right, let's jump in today. How to not be a stupid (laughs) worship leader, a stupid, foolish, ignorant worship leader. Sadly, there's a lot of those around right now. Sorry, guys. Sorry, hashtag sorry, not sorry. Hashtag just saying. It's a lot of stupid stuff going on. Somebody sent me, actually, my wife sent me over lyrics to a song today that I was like, what in the world is going through people's minds when they write these songs? I can't, I can't figure it out. I don't know what's going on. Somebody's going to have to help me with this. Actually, I'm going to help you with this. Let's read through these stupid lyrics of this song that apparently people in church are singing. Maybe it's being played on the radio. I don't know. If I heard this song on the radio, I think I would pull my car over to the side of the road and with my own two hands, rip my radio out of my vehicle and smash it on the ground like that scene in office space that they do with the printer in the field with the baseball bat. I feel that way, that strongly about this stuff. And you're going to see why in a minute. But this is a song. I think the group or the guys are called Shane and Shane. I don't mind calling their name because this is stupid and it needs to be said publicly. I'm sure they're nice guys. I'm sure they love the Lord. Somebody just hasn't taught them properly. And and I'm not saying this just to be a Pharisee. I'm not a Pharisee. This is real deal stuff because 
The things we say, the things we think, the things we sing are important. They affect our minds. They affect our future. What you believe is proven by what you say. That's why I don't sing songs like the one I'm getting ready to give you the lyrics of. I don't sing them. If I'm in a church and they sing stuff like this, I don't sing. I put my hands down and sit there and wait for them to get through this stupidity. You say, man, that's kind of harsh. Listen, I believe the Bible. I believe sound doctrine, and it's the only thing that carries power. God doesn't honor things that are outside of his word. So when you start, in fact, maybe I'll deal with this in a minute, but I just wrote that book this year called Unhang Your Harp, and it deals with the subject of, the, of, of praise. And uh, I'll talk about this in a minute, but if you misrepresent the character of God, why would God put his hand of anointing or blessing on something you're doing that misrepresents who he is. Think about that for a minute. And the song I'm getting ready to read you the lyrics of completely misrepresent the character and the nature of God to his children. In fact, let's just get into it. Shane and Shane. I think the song is called Though You Slay Me. What a powerful title. Though You Slay Me. Foolish. You say, I can't believe you would call people stupid. I can't believe you'd call them foolish. Paul did it. And that's what gave me the uh, freedom in my own spirit to call stupid, stupid. Paul wrote to the Galatian church and said, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? There are things that can be told to you, taught to you that are literally bewitching your mind. It takes you out of what God said is true. And it's almost like a smokescreen to put in your mind or in your spirit another view of God and who he is so that you can't experience his power, his glory, and his nature the way you're supposed to as a believer and as a child of God. And these kinds of songs do that. And they create an atmosphere in church where nothing can happen because everybody has this view of God like he's looking to tear you apart and destroy you and punish you rather than bless you like his word teaches that that's what he's ready to do. So let's go through the lyrics. Here they are. Stupid. No, that's not the title. Though you slay me. Though you, speaking of God, slay me. Here they are. I come, God, I come. I return to the Lord, the one who's broken, the one who's torn me apart. You struck down to bind me up. You say you do it all in love, that I might know you in your suffering. Here it is, ready? Though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Though you take from me, I will bless your name. Hallelujah. Though you ruin me, still I will worship. Sing a song to the one who's all I need. Jesus, hallelujah. Though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Though you take from me, I'm just like, I'm like, I wish you could see me. I'm like, I I can't even, I can't get with this. Though you take from me, I will bless your name. Though you ruin me. That's exactly what he's looking to do, guys. God cannot wait to ruin you. He wants to ruin your family, ruin your life, ruin your ministry, ruin your mind, ruin your finances, ruin your relationships. Though you ruin me, still I will worship. Though you take from me. Yeah, that's because that's what the Bible teaches. God, the Bible teaches that God's the one who steals from you, kills and destroys you. 
That's exactly what John 10.10 says. It is God who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. No, it's not what the Bible says. It's actually in direct contradiction to what New Testament scripture teaches. We're going to get into that in a minute. (laughs) Though tonight I'm crying out, let this cup pass from me now. You're still all that I need. You're enough for me. You're enough for me. Give me a break. Give me a freaking break. This song is trash. It's absolute trash. And I'll tell you why it's trash. Because it completely and irreverently misrepresents the character and the nature of the almighty God. Total trash. I'm going to be totally honest with you right now. I would sing an ACDC song in church before I would sing this song in church. I would sing Back in Black from the platform before I would sing Though You Slay Me. Because at least Back in Black is not completely... (laughs) I mean, this is like slander. This song is pretty much slander of God's character. If God was a human being on the earth, he could literally sue you for the things that you're saying about him in this song. Think about that for a minute. God could sue you (laughs) for saying these things about him in this song. And it's stupid because this isn't the only song like this. There are so many of these dumb songs nowadays that misrepresent who God is and what he can do. You've heard me talk about the other one um, for a while that was, and by the way, these lyrics are found in scripture and we're going to deal with that in a minute. It's, It's found in the book of Job. It's Job speaking. Job is saying, though you slay me. We're going to deal with that in a second. But what about that other song that I dealt with before that that came from the book of Job? He gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. Hallelujah. Right? Because that's what God wants to do. He wants to take away good things from your life. That's the God he is. He loves to just come down and to tease you. He'll give you something good for a little while just so he can take it away. No, it's not who God is. All these stupid songs that misrepresent the nature and the character of God. And then we wonder why. Why aren't miracles happening? How come things are falling apart? Why don't we see supernatural things taking place in our services? Because no God wants to stay around in an atmosphere where he's being slandered. I wrote about this in the book on Hang Your Harp. And I said, imagine if you wrote a song about a friend of yours named Jennifer, who it was a very nice person. However, you completely misrepresented her character in the song and you would sing it anytime she was around. Completely nice, wonderful person, Jennifer. But you wrote a song. Oh, Jennifer, Jennifer's a thief. Guard your things when Jennifer's around. With her sticky little fingers, she'll steal you blind. Oh, Jennifer, oh, Jennifer's a thief. If you sang that seriously, every time Jennifer was at your house, every time you were out to eat with her, it's going to tick Jennifer off because Jennifer knows she's not a thief and has never stolen anything in her life. However, every time you see her, all you can do is sing and talk about how much of a thief she is. She's going to stop coming around. Jennifer's not coming to your house anymore. She's not attending your birthday parties anymore. She's not going out to eat with you anymore. Why? Because she's sick 
of being misrepresented. And people say, I don't know why we're not just seeing the power of God manifested in our services. I'll tell you why. Because you're singing stupid things about God that are not true. And he doesn't want to stay around. That's not praise, by the way. This is the opposite of whatever praise is. Singing these things that Shane and Shane wrote, if, if they even wrote this song, they made a Chris Tomlin it and just had somebody else wrote it and they recorded it. And that's not a slam against Chris Tomlin because everybody knows how much I love him. Everybody. Every single person knows. But getting back to the point, these lyrics are not praise. You might think they are. Shane and Shane might think they are. But when you misrepresent God's character, you're not praising him. When you say that God's slaying you, that he's taking things away from you, that he's ruining you, (laughs) that he's breaking you, you reached down from heaven and broke me, struck me down to bind me up. When you say that kind of stuff, that's not praise. That's the opposite of praise. That's you defaming God. Think about that for a minute. And the Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. But notice, when the opposite of praise is going on, it causes God's presence to leave. Think about this. The Bible says in Mark chapter 6, Jesus went into his own hometown and he marveled because of their unbelief. And the Bible says he could do there no mighty works. There were no miracles Jesus could accomplish in his hometown because of their unbelief. They wouldn't receive him as the son of God and they wouldn't believe him. So what did he do? He left. What did Jesus tell his disciples to do who were representatives of God? If you go into a city and they do not receive you and what you're saying and what you're doing, he didn't say stay there for 20 years and pound your head against the wall. He said, if they don't receive you, leave the town and shake the dust off of your feet and go somewhere else. God goes where he's celebrated. God doesn't go everywhere. He goes where he's celebrated. That's why not every church has manifestations of God's power because God doesn't just show up and start doing things where he's not wanted or where he's not believed in. God goes where he's celebrated. Praise is a celebration that provokes God's interaction. Praise is a celebration that provokes God's interaction. All these lyrics I just read to you are complete trash. It's not praise and it's not worship. It's a misrepresentation of God. So let's get into this. What do I mean by that scripturally? Let's get to the, to the word because the word's the only thing that matters. So by the way, this was all being said in the book of Job as, as Job is um, having his issues, you know, and he's blaming God for his issues. His friends are blaming God, curse God and die. I mean, all these, all these crazy things as though it's God, it's God's fault, you know, that, that Job's going through all of this. But however, if you understand that after Job got done speaking, that God had a man rebuke Job for three full chapters in the book of Job. And then when he was done, God himself took over and rebuked Job for another three chapters after Job said all these stupid things. And then how? look how, here's what's important. Look how Job responds after being rebuked by the man and by God. Job chapter 42 verses one through six. You can read it for yourself, but I'm going to start with verse three. God, uh, he's speaking about what God said to him. And he says this, verse three of Job 42. You asked, who is this 
that questions my wisdom with such ignorance. It is I, Job said, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about. Get that. Things far too wonderful for me. I was talking about things that I knew nothing about. Things far too wonderful for me. Verse 4, you said, listen and I will speak. I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Verse 5, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. Verse 6 is pretty much the clincher. I take back everything I said and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Notice, after Job said all these dumb things about God, God rebuked him and Job said, I take back everything I said. I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things that were too wonderful for me. So now I'm sitting in dust and ashes to show my repentance. And after Job said the things that he said and repented for slandering the character and the nature of God, who, by the way, the Bible says Job himself said out of his own mouth in verse five, I'd only heard about you before. But now I've seen you with my own eyes. I only So he didn't even have that close of a relationship. I mean, the Bible says he was an upright man, but he out of his own mouth says, I'd only heard about you, Lord. Now I know you face to face. And I take back all the things I said and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Notice what God did for Job after God's nature and character were put in proper perspective in Job's mind and in his spirit. Verse 12 says, so the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. For now he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. So you, you go through. And Job lived 140 years after that, living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. Then he died an old man who'd lived a long, full life. Notice that after Job was put back into perspective by God's word, God blessed him. God was trying to get Job to understand, I'm not slaying you. I'm not ruining you. I'm not trying to destroy you. I love you. And I want to bless you abundantly. In fact, the Bible tells us that Job got a double portion by the end of his life. So God's not schizophrenic. God's not up in heaven, you know, not able to. In fact, God rebukes us for being double-minded in the book of James, chapter one. He he says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Don't let that man think that he'll receive anything of the Lord. Well, you're created in the likeness and the image of God. And if God rebukes you for being double-minded, then don't for a second think that God's up in heaven double-minded. God's not double-minded about what he wants to do in your life. He's not double-minded about his plan for you, and he's not schizophrenic, and he's not bipolar. God's not bipolar. He's not deciding to bless you one day and deciding to curse and ruin you the next day. That's not God. Our God is good. He's good. And I want to show you something because um, there's worship leaders all over America that'll sing this crap. And and they'll get up in a service and everybody lift your hands, though you ruin me. It's like, shut up, shut up. You know, that unbelievable. Like literally, I'm going to start carrying a pellet gun to church and I'm going to sit in the back 
And, and the moment I spot this stuff, somebody's getting stung in the behind with a lead pellet out of my pellet rifle. I'm just so tired. I'm so tired of it. I'm literally considering turning into John Cena and running onto the platform and body slamming somebody. I can do it. Don't you test me. I can do it. You know I can. No, but seriously, I'm tired of this stuff because what happens is this. You've got believers and new believers coming into the kingdom of God. And then what happens is they hear this kind of stuff and it becomes, you know, what they sing and they're singing at home. It gets into their heart, gets into their spirit. Then they start to identify with it and treat it like it's doctrine. Here's the thing. They treat these worship songs because they hear them at church. They don't know any better. It's not like new believers are like master theologians that know doctrine front and back. So you got these new believers, you got believers that have been in the church that don't know anything and they're going home, they're singing these songs and because they heard it at church and because apparently the pastor approves of it, they're singing these songs and acting like they're on the same level as God's word doctrinally. Just because something's in the Bible doesn't mean that it's something we should follow. It doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean it at all. Let me give you an example. If you go to Acts chapter 8, I believe it is, the Bible says that Simon the sorcerer had gotten saved and baptized, and he followed Peter and John as they were laying their hands on the new believers, and they were getting filled with the Holy Ghost, and Simon the sorcerer said, this is wonderful. Let me pay you some money so that I can have the same power that you guys have. I could stop right there and then sit here and preach a message because that is in the Bible, by the way. I could say, see, you can see here the Holy Spirit's inspired word. He's showing us by the example of Simon the sorcerer that, you know, you should have a desire for the anointing to such a degree that whoever is operating in the power of the anointing, you should empty your bank account and begin to pay the money so that you can carry the same anointing and power that they carry. That's in the Bible. He did do that. But then keep reading and you'll find that Peter and John harshly rebuked him and said, Satan has entered into your heart and you need to repent. So in the same way, that's what happened with Job. He said all those stupid things and then his friend rebuked him and then God rebuked him. Sometimes things are in the Bible to show us what we shouldn't do, to show us what we shouldn't say. You know, Judas, the Bible records that Judas went out and hung himself. Do you think I'm going to get up on Sunday and preach a message? Now, you got to understand Judas was a disciple of Christ and Judas had impartation from Jesus and look at how his life ended. It ended in suicide. You need to realize that many times it's God's will for his children to end their life in suicide. Don't anybody use this as a soundbite either because I'm talking about what's false doctrine. You can't take anything that's in the Bible and then just treat it like it's something that you should do yourself. God shows us from his word things we shouldn't do as a warning. And there's a reason that the Holy Spirit inspired the book of Job and put it into our Bible. It's to show us how to respond to God, even in times when the enemy's attacking. Now, let me just get into this for, for a minute. Job, this is why I so much hate when somebody uses the story of Job as an example 
of hardships that they're dealing with in their life today. First of all, let's get something straight. Job, we don't even know what kind of a covenant that he had with God. We don't know which covenant he was under. We don't know that. Uh, Obviously, he did have some sort of a covenant with God because the Bible teaches us that he was uh, giving God blood sacrifices as a form of worship. Well, that's a sign of covenant. You don't do that outside of covenant. So Job did have a covenant with God of some sort. We don't know if it was Noahic covenant, Adamic, we don't know if it was, you know, many, many people don't even believe that the, the law of Moses had fully been established yet. Some people I've heard teach, uh, say that when the story of Job is going on is around the same time that Moses was bringing the tablets down off of the mountain. So we don't, we have no clue uh, what Job, what covenant Job was under, but we do know this, it was an old covenant and it, it was not in the New Testament, meaning Christ had not died, shed his blood, made the Holy Spirit available to all men, gave us the power to overcome, put the keys of the kingdom in our hand, gave us the ability to bind on earth and it's already bound in heaven, loose on earth, it's already loosed in heaven, given all authority in heaven and earth unto us, his children, his disciples, his followers. And in fact, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter eight that we have a better covenant that's established upon better promises, a better covenant, far better than what Job had. He had nothing close to what we have with Jesus Christ. So don't give me this, you know, don't don't sit here and compare, say, my life is like the life of Job. No, your life is nothing like the life of Job. If you're a Christian, you've got a far better covenant established on far better promises. Your life is nothing like the life of Job. And quit pointing to Job as the reason why you're struggling. The reason people struggle is because they don't have a proper understanding and revelation of God's word. Because the Bible says in John 8, 32, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. It'll make you free. So any area of your life where you're struggling, you don't have sufficient truth in that area of your life. If your life's being ruined in areas... It's not because God's ruining it. It's because you don't have proper revelation of God's word in that area of your life. And as a result, it allows the enemy to ruin you because you have a lack of revelation and knowledge and, and truth in that area. Bible's very clear about these points. It's not, you know, this is, this is not something new. I'm breaking out of nowhere. This is well-established doctrine that God's word is the highest power in all of the universe. In fact, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 138 and verse two, that God has magnified his word above his name. So the word of God carries more authority and power than even the name of God. The word of God is the most powerful force in the universe. And to, you know, to manipulate it, to abuse it, you know, to pervert it to this degree as Shane and Shane have done, if they're the writers of this song is, you know, reprehensible. This kind of stuff is ridiculous. It should never enter into the church by any means because, as I said, people start to get into this stuff as though it's God's, you know, what his plan for your life, and they start claiming it as their story. You know, they begin to, and then when bad things happen to people, when the enemy begins to attack, see, here's what happens. The main problem, they're confused as to, wait, is this God doing this to me or Is this the devil attacking me? And that's exactly what the devil wants. He doesn't want you to know whether it's God doing it or him doing it. Because if God's doing it, you should just accept it 
and keep it. Because why would you fight against something that God desires for your life? That's why this is such a demonic train of thought. It's demonic. It's straight from hell. And if you think that I came on here today to do a podcast episode about a song I didn't like, and that's why I'm on here, you've missed the whole point. This is a demonic thing that happens and is established so that people have a misrepresentation of God's nature and character so that they can't experience his power and see the freedom he's provided through Jesus Christ. And as a result, they live in hell on the way to heaven. It's not God's desire. God's not a child abuser. God's not a child abuser. Imagine if I was doing as a father to my children what this song says God does to us. Imagine if I tore my children apart, as the song says, the one who tore me apart. Imagine if I tore my children apart every day till their bodies were torn open. You know, it's not, I'm going to be in jail and on the nightly news very quickly. You struck me down. Imagine if I struck my children down every day. Think about that for a minute. When Madeline and Brooklyn and Teddy woke up in the morning, I went out of my bedroom into the living room where they're, where they're eating Cinnamon Toast Crunch, balled up my fists, and pounded their face until they were struck into the ground. What a father. What a great father. Teaches them character. Tell you this, teaches them great character. They'll learn. They'll learn how to just trust more in me if I can just strike them down. You say you do it all in love. That's the, that's the lyric again. That I might know you in your suffering. Kids, daddy's had some suffering in his life and I want you to be able to identify it with it as well. So everybody line up and get ready for me to just pound your face for the next four and a half minutes until you're bruised, bloody, and can't see through swollen eyes. Because I really just want you to identify with my suffering that I've gone through. What a stupid thing. So freaking stupid. Let me go further. Though you slay me, yet I will praise you. If I slayed my children, I mean, imagine that. That's like Charles Manson-esque. If I slayed my children. Can you imagine my wife's, to my wife's surprise and horror, if she came out into the living room, I had woken up before her, and the kids are just laid all over the ground, body parts everywhere, and I'm standing there with a big smile and a butcher's knife in my hand. What did you do to the kids? Slayed them. Slayed them this morning, yet they'll praise me. No, that's ridiculous. It sounds more ridiculous when I make it, because God's our heavenly father. Think about this. Though you take from me, I will bless your name. Hey, kids. I know I told you I was going to be your father and your provider and, you know, make sure you had breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But from this point forward, our house has become a prison camp. And you will eat once a week bread and water. Go to your rooms. I've prepared shackles that are on the uh, bedposts. I want you to chain yourself in your rooms. We'll bring you some bread next week. Hope you enjoy it, <laughs> though you take from me. I'll bless your name. Though you ruin me. Can you imagine if I ruined my children? I mean, this stuff is like serious. To put this on God like it's him doing this stuff. Bunch of stupid people 
writing stupid songs because they don't know the Bible. And I'm going to tell you the truth about it. Most of them need to get saved. Most of them need to get saved. I've been behind the scenes. You know, there's a problem when before you go on the platform to do your worship concert, you have to finish cigarettes in the back alley behind the church. Somebody needs to get saved. (laughs) Though you ruin me, still I will worship. Sing a song to the one who's all I need. Hallelujah. Shut up. Shut up. Ridiculous stuff. I want to take you to Matthew chapter 7 because I want to show you exactly what Jesus taught. Apparently, people think they're smarter than Jesus in this generation writing these retarded songs. And I say that, you know, in the most, I'm not talking about, you know, retarded as far as like mentally challenged people. I'm talking about like slow the actual use of the word. Slow. People are slow if they believe this is God's nature. Extremely slow if they believe this is God's character. Because here's what Jesus taught clearly in his word. Matthew 7 and verse 7. Keep on asking. This, by the way, once again, this is Jesus speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. (laughs) Just stop with that one verse right there, Matthew 7, 7. If there's an issue in your life, he said, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. You battling in your body? Keep on asking. God will heal you. In fact, the Bible echoes that in the book of James. Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church who will anoint him with oil, lay hands upon him, pray the prayer of faith, the prayer of faith, say the sick, the Lord raise him up. doesn't say just, you know, if, the, if is there any sick among you in, here in the church? If so, we need to really discern, you know, whether it's God doing it to you or, or it's the devil because we wouldn't want to pray against God's will. No, they said, if there's anybody sick, get in here, let us lay hands on you because you shouldn't be sick. We'll anoint you with oil, pray the prayer of faith, God will raise you up. Keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Verse 9, you parents, if your children ask you for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. Look at verse 11. Mark this in your heart. Mark this in your spirit for the rest of your life. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Give good gifts, not evil gifts. The Bible says it's the thief that comes to steal and kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He's not come to ruin you. He's not, you know what the Bible says he's he's come to do? 1 John 3, 8, he's come to destroy the works of the devil. Not to destroy you, not to destroy your family, your body, your mind, your finances and relationships. That's not why Jesus came. Came to destroy the works of the devil. You see that? Very interesting. The Bible says very clearly that every good gift, 
every perfect gift. This, by the way, if you're, if you're taking notes, this is found in the book of James chapter one and verse 17. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our father, who created all the lights in the heavens and he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Notice that. Hmm. Verse 13. And remember, when you are being tempted, don't say God's tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father. That's James chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. God's not the author of evil things. How can you sing songs like this and still believe God is righteous and holy? And he's destroying his children that he sent his son to save. How dumb would God be if he took his only son and allowed him to be tortured and killed for our salvation, our healing, and our blessing? In fact, there are seven things Jesus died for. Let's actually read them. Just in case you've never heard this before, Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Then I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders, verse 12, and they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Seven reasons Jesus died to transfer to you seven redemptive benefits of salvation. He died to give you power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. So if God is putting evil sicknesses and diseases upon you, which he even told the people in the Old Testament, I am the Lord that heals you. I will put none of these sicknesses or diseases upon you. That's what he told them. I will put none of these diseases upon you. So, you know, if you think he's, he said in Malachi, I'm the Lord your God, I don't change. His nature doesn't change. His character doesn't change. Jesus Christ, book of Hebrews, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, and strength. So if God's putting sicknesses and diseases on you that are stealing your strength, he's doing it in direct opposition to the reason Jesus died and was tortured. God's not a fool and he's not irresponsible and he's not double-minded. That's why this kind of stuff is trash and has no place in our churches, no place in our homes, no place in our cars. I wouldn't play this garbage anywhere. It's ridiculous. You're going to, because here's the thing. It, I feel the same kind, and you can tell, obviously, that I, I get stirred up about this, and I'll tell you why. It's the same reason David got ticked off in 1 Samuel 17 when he heard Goliath blaspheming the Most High God. And David, a teenager, said, who, who in the world is this uncircumcised Philistine to talk about our God that way? 
He got, he got murderously angry. You know, something David said in the Bible that freaks people out, he said to God, I have hated your enemies with a perfect hatred. Read that for yourself. I have hated your enemies with a perfect hatred. Very interesting stuff. When he saw Goliath, he was ready to kill him from the beginning. Why? Because when you love something as much as David loved God, by the way, if you're looking for the reference on that, Psalm 139 and verse 22, David says, I hated them or I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Psalm 139, 22, when somebody loves something as much as David loved God, when you, I mean, think about this. When you were growing up in school, what was the quickest way to get in a fight with somebody? Talk about their mom. Why? Because you don't talk about the one I love. Now that you're married, you know, talk about my wife and see what happens. You know, why? Because, you know, talk, talk about my kids, do something to my kids, see what happens. Why? Because when you love somebody that much, you won't allow things to be said about them, done to them, without there being repercussions. So when David heard Goliath demonically talking about God like that, it put him in a rage to the place where he was ready to take the giant's head off. And he didn't even have a sword, had a sling, but still told him, I'll cut your head off, feed your flesh to the birds of the air. You've heard me preach on it if you've been in my meetings at any point. Why? David had a love for God that was cultivated in all the hours he'd spent in the middle of nowhere praising and worshiping him. So when you see me get upset, the reason I'm getting upset is because these people are talking about our God in a way that so misrepresents him. It makes him evil instead of righteous and holy. And my God is not evil. Doesn't send down evil things. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father above. If you're going to be a worship leader who's not foolish, who's not stupid, cultivate your mind. Cultivate an atmosphere in your church of proper doctrine in the worship. Don't just sing something because it's high on the charts right now or because it won a Dove Award. What a stupid reason to sing a song. Well, this one was charting. I saw this one on iTunes. Who cares? Look at the lyrics. I don't care how great the melody is. I don't care how great the lead guitar part is. Doesn't matter. Look at the lyrics. What are you saying about God? What are you saying about his word? What are you saying about Jesus? Are you Here's a question. Does the song say anything at all? about God or his greatness or his power or about Jesus? Or is it a song where we just kind of sing about what, what kind of a horrific state we're in? A lot of songs do that now. It's just like a, a woe is me style song. Where like, you know, I'm so broken. I'm so defeated. You know, I'm not worthy to be your child. You know, all these ridiculous lyrics when he made you worthy to be his child. So look at the lyrics. What do the lyrics say? What's the doctrine? You know, is this this scriptural even? Is what I'm singing scriptural or not? If it's not, I don't care how good catchy the song is, don't sing it. 
Because what you sing is just as important as what you say. It's all confession. And God honors your words. And if your confession's out of whack, then your life's going to be out of whack. You can't experience the power of God if you're driving his presence out with what you're singing. Be careful. Guard yourself. Don't just receive something because everybody else is doing it. Know what the Bible says. Hide it in your heart like David said. See, there's, here's the problem is that people may have read the Bible before, but until you hide it in your heart, what does that mean? It means that you've had enough of the scripture, the word, go into you time and time again, that if somebody even says something that's not accurate, your spirit goes off like an alarm because you know it contradicts the word that's already in your heart. That's the importance of hiding the word in your heart that you might not sin against God. Having a familiarity with the word that you know what it says and you won't be driven off of the truth of it by something that's quote unquote hip or popular. It's ridiculous. So I want to pray for every one of you that are listening to the podcast today. I know that, I know that not everybody's listening is a worship leader, but this goes for people that, that are even hearing these songs on the radio allowing them in their house on Spotify. or That's why we, we started doing Monday music mashup for you guys so that you can get a hold of you know worship songs, praise songs you may have never heard of before, that you can get stuff that's going to be powerful and that's going to be you know accurate, as accurate as we can find it. But that's why we need that because God honors our words. He honors our praise. And if the songs we're singing are void of praise, God's not there anyway. So I want to pray for every one of you that God gives you a boldness and a wisdom and a discernment like you've never had to stick to the word, you know, and the spirit. The spirit follows the word. God doesn't do anything by his spirit that's outside of his word or contradictory to his word. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, for every person, all the faithful people that listen to this podcast, they have a hunger, they have a desire to go to a higher level in their life with Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord that you would let their spirits be so attuned to your spirit and to your word that their spirits would go off like alarm bells ringing anytime these things are, these lies about your character and your nature are tried to be pushed upon them. Lord, we thank you that we will always be accurate with your word. We'll always do what you said specifically for us to do. We'll never downplay the covenant we have by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a far better covenant established on far better promises. We thank you for that covenant today. We're faithful to it. We love you, Lord. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. One of the things I wanted to mention before I go, you're talking about Job's covenant in comparison to ours. Did you know that Jesus said that among all the people in the Old Testament, none was greater than John the Baptist? Jesus said that. Of everybody in the Old Testament, None was greater than John the Baptist. But then he goes on to say, but the least in the kingdom of God is far greater than he is. Think about that for a second. He's saying Moses, Abraham, Elijah, Elisha, none of them were as great. David, Enoch, none of them were as great as John the Baptist. Jesus said he was the greatest, but the least in the kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? It's the new covenant. He's saying the least believer, whatever believers at the lowest level, is still far greater than John the Baptist, who was the greatest in the Old Covenant. Why? Because the covenant you have now is far greater 
than what they had back then. Remember that, never forget it. Don't ever compare any trial, tribulation, anything like that to what Job went through because he did not have what you currently have, which is much, much better. God wants you to succeed. God wants you to have health, wealth. He wants you to be strong in your mind and in your spirit, to be holy and to be righteous, to be full of power, to impact your generation with the Holy Ghost. I love you guys. Listen, if you have any questions about this, you can either at reply me on Twitter, at T Shuttlesworth is my Twitter username, or you can send me a message on Instagram at Ted Shuttlesworth. DM me. I'm not, you know, ever offended. I get them all right to my phone and I love to hear from you. Don't forget, check out southeastworship.com for the details on the upcoming worship summit. It's going to be phenomenal. I love you guys. I'll talk to you again on Monday. And don't forget, goodness and mercy are following you for the rest of your life. I'll talk to you soon. We would love for you to join us in a live service. To find out when Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. will be near you, please visit our website at www.miracleword.com. 